Welcome to Vistas by WebCheck Security. News, views, and insights into the cybersecurity realm, leadership, and entrepreneurship. Produced by WebCheck Security, a world-class cyber penetration testing and risk mitigation company. My name is Greg Johnson, and I'm your host. Today's podcast features a man who came highly recommended to WebCheck Security by an investment capital group. Peter Bybee is the CEO of Security On Demand, and today it will be our pleasure to hear his story and ideology surrounding cybersecurity being a big data analytics problem. Vistas is sponsored by Vivint Smart Home. Look, have you ever wondered, what would happen if I were robbed? What would they get? Who do I call to protect myself? Well, look no further than Vivint Smart Home. They have the best technology for cameras, doorbells, garage sensors, window sensors, thermostats, everything you need all in one app. For world-class security and home automation, call Vivint today at 1-800-570-1313. That's right, 1-800-570-1313. Anchoring Vista sponsorship is Nexus IT, a worry-free, hyper-responsive, and white-glove approach to providing world-class IT support and solutions so leaders can focus on their business. Reach out to Earl's crew for your IT security needs at 435-659-2533 or www.nexusitc.net. I might add that Earl's team is growing and has made half a dozen critical technical and management hires this year and is taking the region by storm. And now, an introduction to our guest today. Peter Bybee is the founder and CEO of Security On Demand, a Gartner-recognized managed security service provider that is, a lead, that is leading the pack in the areas of behavioral cyber analysis, rapid detection of advanced security threats, and cyber threat operations expertise. Security On Demand has become one of the fastest growing managed security providers in the nation. He is a certified information security system professional and a certified information systems auditor, or CISA. He is a past president and board member of Information Security System Security Association, or ISSA, the San Diego chapter. He is currently he currently serves as a member of the National University's Cybersecurity program advisory council wow pretty impressive peter welcome to our uh, podcast today great thank you greg pleasure to be with you well it's great to have you here thank you for doing this before we dive in uh to what is sure to be one of the best podcast i think contents uh that we've had in in recent history here <laughs> tell us some fun stuff tell us a little bit about yourself your family where you live your hobbies etc Originally, uh, thank you, Greg. Uh, originally from uh, the Los Angeles region, grew up uh, in the outskirts of LA, Ventura County, Thousand Oaks area. Um, nothing, uh, <laughs> nothing too spectacular to note uh, in terms of where I grew up, but uh, I did have a uh, kind of the entrepreneur bug from an early age, and uh, you know had a number of different uh, businesses when I was. Uh, a teenager and d doing different things. And uh, one of the things that I was very passionate about from a young age was anything having to do with computer technology, programming and pulling things apart, putting stuff together and, and seeing how stuff works. And that later on really fueled uh, an interest in me, you know, deciding to start my own business uh, while I was in college. I, um, I was in, uh, I was actually not a technology or anything computer related. I was studying something completely 
uh, different, um, kind of was bored to be quite honest and decided that I was going to launch a technology consulting business. And, uh, so while I was, uh, you know, getting my, working my way through college at San Diego state university, uh, that's what I did. I, I started building computers and, uh, and doing consulting. This was sort of like the mid and late eighties. So not, you know, automation was just, around around uh, offices and things like that was just beginning and people were ha- had been rebelling against the mainframe world with microcomputers uh, in those early days and and so things were really taking off and and there wasn't really a lot of expertise in those areas so that's really kind of how I got my start and uh, a little bit about my background very cool and for our listeners uh, Peter you're not a, a total nerd I've seen you deadlift uh, over 400 pounds. (laughs) Well, Greg, uh, you know, the devil's in the details. Uh, (laughs) uh, You know, if it weren't for my trainer, Franz, I'm sure I'd probably be, you know, have lots of back problems by now. But uh, uh, there's something about, you know, paying a trainer that forces you to show up. But I'm not one of those gym rats that really enjoys going to the gym. I have to be honest with you. (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm glad you've got uh, uh, Franz to pump you up. Well, Peter, tell us about the history here. I think it's relevant to our subscribers and listeners uh, to note that you started in one direction uh, <laughs> two decades or more ago. And by the way, I was in those exciting days of the Mac 128K and the IBM 5150 with two floppy drives and 64 kilobytes of RAM. You remember that? Installing WordPerfect with uh, endless floppies? (laughs) Those were the days. But uh, tell us a little bit about how you started, pivoted, and then pivoted again, and then happened upon this unique uh, technology that kind of started security on demand down the path that that they're on today. Yeah, thank you. Um, well, it, it was actually kind of an interesting story how how I actually got my start, even though I was kind of this uh, techie guy from a young age. Um, I, I actually was really more into uh, computer gaming back when I was uh, <laughs> in my, you know, middle school and high school years. And, you know, there wasn't really, you know, gaming was very, very uh, um, I, I call it crude and basic and fundamental and things like that. And, uh, but anyway, I, I really had this love for, for technology and for computers, you know, and I, I remember those days, you know, loading all those floppies onto a, you know, like a, a 10 meg disk right. drive was, was like, you know, <laughs> this really cool thing. Um, and then the iOmega Bernoulli drive came out and that was the bomb, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, all of a sudden you could have something portable that, that could, uh, move some data around. That was really big. Um. I actually started, I was in college and my uncle called me up one day when I was at San Diego state and said, Hey, uh, how, how would you like to drive a limo for these uh, real estate developers? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Okay. Whatever. I'll, <laughs> if it's as long as I can do it on weekends and go to school during the week, that that's fine. So, so it was actually these two guys that had a couple of businesses and were you know somewhat established as small business guys in the San Diego region, and they were doing real estate. So I drove this car around. It was their own private car. I was the limo driver. And over time, over the course of about a year and a half, I got to know all these all these guys in their network. They were all you know some of them were real estate guys, some of them were you know people from college and 
you know, one of the guys actually had attended Harvard. And so he had a lot of his Harvard buddies that were coming into town. They'd give him the car for the weekend. I went with the car. It was a great college job, mostly all cash. For sure. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and what I didn't realize is I was really tapping into this network. I mean, many of them kind of said, hey, you know, if you ever need any help with something, you know, give me a call. And, uh, and so I actually, I, I kept all the names. Uh, I wrote all the numbers down. I, 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 I kind of made a little, a Rolodex. I mean, that's back in the days where there really was a Rolodex. Right. Um, uh-huh. and, uh, and so, you know, later on when I, when I was in college and I really got into my, you know, consulting business, I actually called those guys up and I said, Hey, you remember me? Of course. Um, I'd like to come in and talk to you about what your technology needs are. And, and just about all of them invited me to come in and sit down and have a chat. And, and, uh, Fantastic. and so that's, that's how I got started. I mean, my base of business was from this limo job that I had in the mid eighties. And, and that, that was actually my first, my first set of clientele. So you weren't shy. You just jumped right in and became a sales guy. You know, there is this sort of uh, old saying, fake it till you make it. Um, and, uh, <laughs> I, like that. I, I would kind of sign up for these ambitious technology projects. Uh, like I want to go, I want to automate all my accounting or I want to install a computer network or something. And, and then I would go figure it out. Yeah. I mean, I would just get all the pieces put together and once in a while I'll bring in a, an expert or something in some other area and, and I would just figure it out. So, so you were, uh, I, I don't know, would you categorize yourself at that point as a, an MSP, a VAR, uh, you were, you were buying and selling computer technology, recommending what they needed. Uh, how did that start? So that really was an evolution, a slow evolution as I had different, uh, successes and also some failures, some, some, I, I kind of got to know what things I really needed to specialize in and, and so I went out, I got some certifications in particular, I, I, I did some early peer to peer networking products and solutions, uh, are, you know, Lantastic, if you remember that. Oh yeah. Um, and then there was this company called Novell. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. <laughs> Worked uh, for them. <laughs> <laughs> and I went out and got my Novell certification. I became a certified network engineer or CNE. And that was the you know, that was like the big uh, credential thing. You could, I could charge $90 an hour, you know, having a CNE and, and I did, and uh, I charged, <laughs> it was really good money back at the time. So I really became this uh, value added reseller or VAR, sold equipment, right. did consulting. I did a lot of it myself, hired, started hiring people. And before that I had like 25, 30 guys all on the bench doing services for me. Fantastic. So fast forward to the uh, Q radar phase of your life. Sure. How, how did you come to want to jump into this uh, MDR space or managed detection response? Well, that that is uh, sort of, you know, I, I wish, wish I could tell you that it was all well thought out and planned. But, you know, <laughs> many of these uh, um, experiences I think we have in life are very serendipitous, you know, circumstances change, you have to find some, you know, new, uh, business model. And that's really what happened the, in 2001 in April that we had what was called the tech wreck. And, uh, that's when all of these high flying technology companies just 
all hit bottom. Many of them BK'd and didn't make it. And uh, a lot of this, this speculative technology bubble that had existed there in that, you know, 2000, you know, early 2000, all came to a halt very quickly. So that really impacted my VAR business. Many right, right. Of these clients were, were companies that not only, you know, were, were my customers, but they also owed me money. So we, we kind of went into a <laughs> bit of a financial uh, challenge as well. Uh, because well, 9-11 didn't help that either, right? Oh, absolutely. So. That's right. That's right. So so we really had to really do some serious thinking about, okay, what, what's our model? And, and one of the things that I decided, Greg, what I was not going to go do is I was not going to get back into the consulting business. And it was feast or famine. You either didn't have you know, enough people on the bench or too many or, you know, skill sets were a challenge and training. So we, I decided to really build a subscription-based business and, you know, no, no, uh, no resell of products and hardware and, and no consulting. And it was all 100% subscription. And so we launched a managed, uh, really, service provider business, which was really more IT outsourcing, but on a subscription basis. Now, this was back in 2002 when that model was, was pretty much very, very new, may, mostly unknown. N- nascent, and, uh, nascent. It was all exactly unknown and in, in, in its infancy. That's right. And so we had to really sit down and figure out what is the model. How do you actually make money? How is it? How does it become profitable? What's you know? How do you go do it? So we figured it out. Uh, we we were successful with that for several years. Uh, did that two three years. Uh, and and then one of the areas that we really identified is the need for IT security. That was really an up and coming need. We saw that there was really a huge potential that that was going to be a, a specialized area and that we could probably charge a little bit more uh, as a result of specializing there. So we actually dropped the more traditional uh, managed services like server support and went into things like firewall support and and really like managing, doing log management. And that was really our very first beginnings of what later became security on demand. Fantastic. So that worked for a while, but then what changed? Well, the market went through a lot of a lot of changes. Um, some it's it appeared slow, but but you know, listening to your customers is always really key in terms of anticipating what what happens. And as I was talking to my clients, many of them were very focused on the whole, you know, let's check the box from a compliance perspective. You know, some of them were small banks and credit unions. Uh, others uh, were medical, you know, oriented where you had the HIPAA laws that were going into effect in those years. And uh, and so many of them were just like, hey, I just want to pass my audit. And it was very hard to really evangelize, hey, this is something that could really happen to you. Mostly the people that learned, uh, you know, that that identified the need for robust cybersecurity were really the people that actually got compromised and had learned the hard way. And so it was very hard to, you know, convince people that they really needed to be secure as well as compliant. And so that pendulum took a long time to shift, Greg. I'd say that took 10 years. Yeah. It wasn't until after maybe 2010, 2011 that, that organizations really started to wake up and go, well, all right, maybe we should start thinking more about being secure instead of just 
being compliant. And ransomware has been around for a while, but it seems to me, Peter, that it wasn't until maybe five, six years ago that it really started coming to the forefront and that uh, groups like Revil and Darkside and, uh, you know, Black Matter and some of these Russian-backed and then other Chinese organizations started hacking using ransomware tools. And, uh, and so that's certainly shifted the, the industry as well. Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, Joseph Pop back in 1989, you know, was the one that wrote the first, uh, you know, ransom, you know, give me, give me money for, you know, unencrypting your, your passwords and your data kind of thing. Uh, but that concept unfortunately kind of caught on now it took a while for it to percolate and for it to really get to that point where it was really being where, where it is today, right? Where it's the primary, um, criminal extortion tool and, and has really, you know, become 70% or more of all, uh, computer crime that's, that's committed today. Uh, but yeah, three or four years ago, it was just starting to take off. And then, you know, we've certainly seen it explode, particularly in the last two years. So fast forward now to this group in Warsaw, a group of PhDs, uh, doctors of mathematics that had created something special, but they didn't know what necessarily. Tell us about that story. Yeah. So, so while we were, you know, building our, our product, our services company, um, tech enabled services, uh, of doing managed security or MSSP, we we realized that there was a fundamental problem in threat detection, and and that is doing dealing with the SIM. Uh, our ser- our service offering was very much a, a set of services wrapped around third party technology, and this third party technology were products like um, you know Log Rhythm and uh, Q Radar and um, Splunk. Splunk, and I mean, you name it. I mean, there were half a dozen of these guys. Um, McAfee, uh, I mean, I, I probably had all of them at one point that I had been using. What we realized is that they would miss a lot of threats. In fact, our customers would even call us up kind of mad that, you know, something happened and we didn't see it. And we'd go, well, why didn't we see it? And so once we delved in, we realized that if we didn't have an alert, you know, for that specific type of thing, there was no visibility to that particular uh, threat. And so what that really meant is that we had to anticipate every possible threat and create some logic in the SIM in order to be able to detect it. Now, when we really looked at that, we thought that that is mad. That is absolutely crazy. There's got to be a better way. We we just can't reco- you know re- you know rely on this very manual human, dependent um, knowledge-based approach to try to find all the threats. And that's still, I think, very much a problem today in that world. And so we really got out of that. We actually started developing our own product set and our own tools, much of it in the earlier days around behavioral analysis. And then later on, we, we became acquainted with a company that was in the process of being sold that had an interesting IP set. Now, that IP had about a, a half a dozen or so patents. It had um, some source code with it and an a R&D team based in Warsaw, Poland. And what we came to really understand is this, um, this team and, and this technology very early on in its capabilities had this was based on some really interesting mathematics called approximate query or rough set mathematics. And this was developed in Warsaw, Poland back in 1982. And 
And so there is this big focus on using this advanced math around uh, finding threats and doing advanced data analysis. And so we, we kind of latched on to the concept, uh, but we didn't really know what we were getting. <laughs> and so we, uh, we did acquire the company. Uh, and we inherited this team. And then we had to, you know, after every acquisition, there is this whole, you know, thought process of, okay, now we, now we have to figure out what it is we actually bought. <laughs> and, uh, and so we went through that and we realized that it had a lot of potential, but we, th- this, this group, um, you know, needed also some assistance and understanding the use cases because they weren't cyber experts. They were more data and machine learning and AI people. And, and they were, of course, all experts, PhDs, um, but we really needed to teach them and to help them understand what, what we wanted it to do. And so uh, over the course of a few years, we really got that product to the, to the point where it really became extremely valuable and ultimately very differentiating for our ThreatWatch platform to do advanced threat detection. Fantastic. So I've heard you give presentations before, and it's always fascinating uh, the approach that you use. And and I've heard you say that really cyber has become a big data analytics problem. So what does security on demand do uh, that many SIM uh, SOC as a service providers in this space are not? And I'll add for our listeners, there are literally dozens, maybe hundreds. Uh, my business partner, Jeff, and I uh, several years ago, went on a quest, uh, and I won't get into the details, but we evaluated many different products from Alien Vault uh, to uh, Fortinet Solutions, um, Rapid7, uh, the list goes on, RSA NetWitness. And uh, we found that there, the limitations you've described with regex, regular expressions, and programming in the behavioral um, uh, uh, analysis so that the sim can understand it signatures if you will that, that's hard to do over time so differentiate here tell us a little bit about what you're doing and why it's a data analytics problem the the the, the premise of threat detection today is really around recognition you know what is a threat and what is not a threat and we call this known versus unknown. So the known threats are the things you just mentioned, Greg, things like signatures. And, and the mechanism you use to find something using a, a signature, or which is like a, a known pattern or a, a, you know, something known about the attacker, where they're coming from and what they do. And it could be behavioral, but it could also be very much tied to the you know, type of traffic or exploit they're trying to do but these signatures they're often also called indicators of compromise or iocs these are all pieces of information that are typically known as being associated with some kind of bad activity so it could be malware it could be some you know way to infect a machine and you know give the give the attacker remote access or you know some kind of uh, control path into the system and again, these are the, this known world is, is typically where, where we've been operating really for the last 25, 30 years. This is, this is actually a big challenge because most of the threats coming at us today are actually out of the unknown universe. 
And examples of this would be some of the more recent supply chain attacks. We've seen uh, Orion, which was the solar winds attack. Right. That, that had never been done before. Um, we've seen things like single-use APTs, right? You know, these are things for sale where people have uncovered like a, a zero-day exploit and and they go off and they sell it. And, you know, once it becomes known, of course, it's no longer useful. But because it's unknown, it's almost guaranteed to succeed. Somebody finds a, a path into Coca-Cola, for example, and then they go out and they sell it. They say, hey, this is guaranteed to work so that if you want to exploit this company, I've already I've already discovered the path. So so these these unknown threats, they're often referred to as dynamic threats, are starting to comprise more and more of the attacks, probably about 60 percent compared to maybe 40 percent of the known attacks. Now, this represents a huge shift in our detection approach. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we can't use these these uh, sort of static methodologies that we've been using over and over where we're going to try to you know, find something by analyzing something that we know in order to find something that we don't know. Uh, it, it just, you know, we, we just can't use that approach. And so the analytics that we use and part of what we acquired when we developed this technology is really about finding anomalies in the data. And that's why we think of cyber as a big data problem is because there's so much data, the attackers are essentially hiding in plain sight. They're just right in front of us. But the challenge, of course, is, is that, number one, no, you know, vendor, you know, MSSPs and MDR providers don't analyze all of the data. They just they, they only analyze a reduced data set. Now, part of that is just to keep costs low. And to keep the manageability of the data uh, maintained so that it doesn't overwhelm their system. Most of these SIM products were never designed or built with a big data type of approach, meaning right. they were they were, you know, they're use columnar or or relational databases. They just don't, they just can't handle uh, the massive influx of data. Just, you know, 10, 15 years ago, that wasn't really the issue, but but now it is. Okay. okay. So, so how are you guys different? How are, are you able to gather all the logs and, and, and how are you able to deal with this big data issue? Yeah, great question. I mean, interestingly enough, what what we have developed here with our analytics technology is a, a capability to ingest unlimited amounts of data and only generate a very, very small footprint. And And by doing that, we essentially create this metadata layer uh, that has all of the answers of, of everything that's in the data through a kind of mathematical construct. We call that a multidimensional access layer. And so I won't get into the more you know, technical details here, but it's, it's essentially this, this metadata layer sitting on top of a data lake that, that really is a very condensed um, form. And because it's a binary file and it's all math that's contained within there, we can make really, really fast queries, and at at and then and then the data footprint itself is maybe about one percent of the original data size. Again, it's it's all done through this uh, what we call a histogram that's in this uh, access layer, and uh, and and so that that's really what's unique about our solution is that we re, that we use this this approach. Now, one capability that's built into this metadata layer is that we can find anomalies without any pre-knowledge. And that was not something we knew 
was there when we uh, developed the solution and and bought the technology. We just, you know, didn't understand that that it was something that even could be done. And and that are, is really something that I think is very unique in the industry. We haven't really come across anyone else, any other company or technology set that can find anomalies without any pre-knowledge. And to me, that's the that's the distinction that allows you to really dig into the unknown uh, side of things without really knowing ahead of time what you're looking for. Fascinating. Now, as you were describing that, I think about the cost implications too, because many of the traditional, I call them industrial, maybe even old box SIM technology uses uh, a log ingress uh, data ingest model to charge right and and mm-hmm. so you almost can't budget for that um, I, I in fact I know of a very large organization I was talking to the other day that uh, they're decommissioning they run Splunk mostly for knock network operation control purposes and then they have they use it for sock but with other older school technologies as well and 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 they're decommissioning some of those technologies because they're just so expensive. So d- does that not have a cost implication if you're developing this binary metadata layer and you can handle, uh, as you say, large uh, quantities of data? Well, as as we were talking about previously, the, the 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 big problem in cyber today is the data. Data is really the central piece. Right. And if you can tame that, if you can really figure that out, then you can load on top of that your machine learning models and your behavioral models and even a rules model. There's lots of detection capabilities that all sit on top of that. But the key part is really figuring out this data access layer and how to get at the data very quickly. And uh, and as you, you pointed out, you know, there are a lot of limitations in being able to collect and, and really consume and ingest the data. And by being able to ingest unlimited amounts of, of the data into this structure we just talked about, which is the metadata that we ingest, we, we can really feed the bots and feed the different analytics that, that we provide on top of our solution. And uh, this kind of unlimited all-you-can-eat data model, I think, is very, very differentiated from the more legacy sims that uh, that basically charge you by how much data you send them or that they consume. And we have no limitations on that. We, we say, you know, for one price, you know, you can send us all the data you want. No no limits. Interesting. That, that seems like it would be very attractive to larger enterprises then based on what they're probably already paying for RSA or some of the other, you know, uh, Curadar or, uh, you know, Splunk industrial SIMs that they're yep. using for security purposes. Tell us, Peter, can you share, at least in generalities, uh, some of the things that you found in client environments that their previous technologies weren't? How, as they start to deploy the solution, what do they find and how has it benefited them? Well, that's, that's the exciting part. I mean, we're not just doing R&D and theorizing about, you know, how you can find anomalies. We're, you know, being being the fact that we have hundreds of customers, we can take these uh, innovations and, and plug them in, you know, in a, in a real-time environment and actually see and test them to, to, to determine whether or not we're actually seeing different threats or more threats or valid threats that we weren't seeing previously. And we've had a number of these 
uh, scenarios. In fact, all the time as we're adding new components to this, we say, hey, here's some new detection uh, algorithm or a machine learning model that that we were you know putting into the platform. And all of a sudden we start seeing things that we've never seen before. And we go, oh, well, that's pretty interesting. That's <laughs> that could be <laughs> something a customer would want to know about. Or and in, in some cases, we've even found attackers uh, sitting there. We didn't even know were there because we had no means of, of detecting them through through some of these more traditional approaches. And so the you know, the proof is in the pudding, as they say. Um, we keep a, a log, actually, a running log of what we call sock wins. And, uh, you know, these are all things that mm-hmm. we track. We figure out, well, did we find it, you know, through the more traditional, you know, rules-based approach? Or are we finding it using our analytics and some of our machine learning? And the majority of the stuff that we're really winning uh, in terms of valid results are, are actually coming through the the uh, advanced analytics, through the machine learning and the the capabilities that we've developed. Oh, very cool. Well, Peter, we're going to take a quick break here. It used to be notebooks, posters, and banners, proofreading ads, and physical invites. Now it's virtual servers and desktops, internet content filtering, web hosting, cloud infrastructure, and of course, robust cybersecurity. Ready to jump your company forward a few decades? Let Nexus IT consultants show you how. To find out more, go to www.nexusitc.net or call them. Call them right now at 435-659-2533. That's 435-659-2523. And we're back with Peter Bybee, CEO and founder of Security On Demand. So, Peter, tell us a little bit about the MDR, XDR thing, right? MDR, what does that really mean in the industry? And then you hear this uh, term XDR now uh, being thrown out like uh, candy in a parade, right? Uh, What is XDR and uh, how do you guys play into that space? Well, certainly there's, uh, you know, there's always a, uh, a lot of hype around whatever the analysts have have defined as the next big thing. Uh, a lot of buying behavior is driven by analysts such as Gardner, Forrester, IDC, and others. And and there's certainly nothing wrong with that. I mean, they are thought leaders and, and visionaries to some extent in terms of helping identify what the future trends are. Um, but sometimes, you know, they don't always have the full picture. And I think that you know, the industry is just now starting to wake up to the fact that that cyber has become a big data problem and the, and, and the data is really central to pretty much all of the analysis. I mean, if you don't have the ability to analyze all the data and to, to quickly find the, the patterns in the data and discern very, very minute changes in those patterns, you know, that, that you really can't, you know, provide a, a, a service at the level that I think is being required today by, by most customers. And so um, as we think about the market, we think that, you know, there's sort of a, a, a big chasm, if you will. Uh, this chasm is, you know, between the XDR solution set, which is still very much based on SIM and rules and known threats, and really this next gen area, which is analytics and dynamic threat detection. These, these gen, this is a generational leap beyond, I think, what XDR. XDR 
no one really can quite put their finger on what it really even is. Uh, we do know that it's a very endpoint centric uh, focus. Um, in fact, some companies out there offering XDR services are saying we're 100 percent endpoint. And that's all we do uh, They They really ignore the network side. They they ignore um, what's going on with the firewall and they ignore what's going on with you know, things inside the network and other devices and and even, um, you know, uh, the applications and things like that. So um, that myopic approach, I think that I think, you know, and, and the X stands for meaning throw anything in there. It's not just the endpoint. It can be anything. It's not really just about what the data sources are. It's it's also about how fast you can analyze the all of the data and, and find the small, you know, hidden threats, patterns sitting there in the data that uh, I think are very difficult to detect. I mean, the attackers today, Greg, are, are using artificial intelligence and machine learning to mask their their uh, behavior. You know, they're, they're trying to blend in and right. pretend that they're just like a normal user. So they've become very, very sophisticated and they're much harder to detect than they used to be. And uh, I think that, that, you know, I mean, great, we've gotten really good at maybe using EDR to find threats. Well, guess what? The attackers are always ahead of the defenders. You think that they're not going to be looking at exploits that know how to circumvent a, a CrowdStrike or a Sentinel-1 or an, a Win, Windows Defender. I mean, they're at, they absolutely are, and, and they do. And so we, we do find uh, attacks and exploits on a regular basis that know how to bypass those those endpoint edr defenses right and those those are great products crowdstrike sophos is another one sentinel one um, do you play with those how does that uh come into your uh advanced analytics product since a lot of customers have already invested in those platforms peter i think i think most security professionals re- recognize that the security world is still a best of breed um, you know, type of product set. You, there isn't going to be one vendor, you know, like Cisco or Palo Alto or Checkpoint or any of the others that are going to have all the best products and all the, you know, all the categories that you need protection uh, or or prevention or detection or response or all of that. So, so you, you what happens is is that you end up with a lot of vendor diversity in most environments, mm-hmm. and that, you know, adds to complexity, but you can also, if you if you figure out how to pull all of those pieces together from a log perspective, you can get some really good coverage. So, look, we like products like CrowdStrike and Sentinel One and, and Sophos and others. We're we're very much uh, appreciative of of all their capabilities, but we shouldn't think of them as this sort of holy grail that, okay, if I've got this one product, well then I'm 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 covered because. You're not. And because it changes so much, the landscape is constantly evolving. Um, Safe, you know, right now today doesn't mean that tomorrow's exploit, which uh, takes advantage of some zero day uh, attack uh, or or attack vector that hasn't been yet discovered, you know, isn't going to, you know, somehow, you know, impact a, a large swath of the systems out there. Right. I always like to say, Peter, there's no silver bullet in cybersecurity. It's a multifaceted, multi-layered approach. 
In fact, at, at WebCheck Security, as we talk about uh, our governance services and penetration testing, they're, they're just a slice of the pie. And you've got to have some of these other practices, policies, procedures, and technologies properly governed and, and interlaced. But what I'm seeing here that, that you're saying is that having telemetry from multiple sources is great. In fact, there are some MDR vendors that say, well, we, we can pull in telemetry from the cloud and blah, blah, blah. And I know security on demand does, does that too. But, but what you're saying is it's of relatively no value unless the algorithms can detect things that you don't know what they are. It's asking the right questions um, and in fact, it's funny that, uh, as you know, I wrote a book with a co-author, Ravi Das, uh, not long ago about uh, uh, web applications and the entire cyber environment that has to support them from encryption to threat hunting to pen testing and, and all of the, the different layers. One of the things that Ravi says as he did his research and he expresses in the book is that cyber becomes, and this almost is out of your book, Peter, cyber becomes a problem of knowing how to ask the right questions. And, and it seems like these um, approximate math, rough set mathematics uh, uh, patents and algorithms are, are, are a step closer to AI. So where, where are we going uh, with, with this technology? If you look down the road here with security on demand in five years, what does that look like? Well, I think that there's a couple of things that are apparent to me. One is the, uh, the speed in which systems are becoming attacked is increasing. Um, mm -hmm. You know, some interesting statistics is the amount the dwell time is is being reduced um you know 10 years ago we were seeing things like you know 400 days was was the average dwell time of wow. of some uh, some malware on a system uh before detection and then you know but today we're actually seeing an average somewhere around 30 days so only about a month but the the, the challenge becomes is that the average amount of time it takes for malware to, or, or for a ransomware that is, to actually start encrypting is probably around five, five to seven days, right? So wow. if our average uh, dwell time is 30 and, and, the ran and the ransomware can go out and encrypt and do its thing in a, in, in a five-day window, or perhaps maybe even a two or three-day window, then we're still kind of missing the boat to a large extent. And so as we think about, you know, the amount of time it takes to find stuff, that's really becoming key. Uh, so time to detection really matters. Now, the, the challenge with that is, is that you're only getting little clues, you know, as you do threat detection. We, we have three different SOCs um, around the world, uh, one in Europe, two in the U.S. And, you know, we're sitting there watching all this stuff, but you're often only getting very early indicators of things when there's an active attack uh, in place. Uh, it's it, These are the low and slow types of attacks that are very, very difficult to, to detect. And it might take some time. It might take a week, two weeks, you know, to really for the patterns to really manifest themselves that, hey, this is really something that is, you know, nefarious in nature and, and directed, not just some some random traffic. So that really is is a huge challenge is the attackers really are they may have all day to sit there and try to ping away at your defenses and and the defenders have to be right every time right so so the odds are really against against you that the defenders are not going to protect 100% it's impossible right it's 
attackers are going to get through. And so as you think about kind of the future, our mindset has to change. We can't just be thinking about prevention. We've got to be thinking of, all right, we know that they're going to get in. So how fast can we respond? How fast can we mitigate the threat once they do? Because it's going to happen. And if we just think that we're going to be able to prevent 100%, it's just, that's unrealistic. And I think that's a, a problem in the industry right now. Um, we need to be thinking not reactively, but more in a, in a response and containment mindset um, and, and making sure that that's a very efficient uh, process because, again, the humans cannot detect it quick enough to be able to prevent it. So now we've got to be able, I think, to respond to it effectively without it affecting the entire organization. To me, I think that's really one of the big shifts that's and, going on and still has to go on. And it seems like like the, your technology is already ahead of the curve. We're not there yet. We don't have iRobot that's able to to do it with with that quite that speed, but being able to detect the anomalies quickly and having a, a trained team that can dive into those uh that, that It's getting there. It's getting there. I mean, it's look, the uh the, I think that as we get into the next generation, let's say if we look forward 10 years, we're going to see more autonomy by uh, the defender bots essentially taking action to close ports off and and do things to defend actively against attack. We, we know this sort of adaptive security concept, uh, self-healing. You know, we've been talking about these concepts for decades, but I think that's going to become a reality here. Uh, it's going to have to be. Uh, we're going to have to have more autonomy from the defenses to you know, block things and 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 contain and certainly respond uh, without, you know, the humans always having to be in the loop. Very good. Well, Peter, let's diverge for a minute. We're coming up to the end of our, our podcast here, but I'd, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about your leadership and, and corporate governance style. You've created a great culture there. I have talked to and interacted with your sales, customer service, uh, project management, and, and, and more technical analysts. They all seem to be very loyal to you and uh, and to the culture that you've created there. And uh, many of them uh, just love showing up for work. So uh, how have you done that? Uh, share with us a little bit about, uh, and don't be shy. I know you're a pretty humble guy. So uh, how have you managed to create this environment? Well, as much as I am, uh, I'm passionate about technology. I'm passionate about you know, what we do and how we help customers, the, the basis for being successful in, in any business is really the people. Um, our people at Security On Demand, I think, are amazing. We, we have, um, you know, people that have been here at the company uh, like 19 years, uh, a couple of, of our folks. Uh, and, and we have a lot of uh, kind of longevity around, you know, others as well. And, and, and the people really make the difference. I mean, we can we can again tout all this great machine learning, but the machines are really never going to replace the, the humans uh, in where in the areas where it really matters, and that's the customer you know interaction and and having you know in building relationships of trust with our clients, and and that's all about people, people in our SOC, people in in all areas of our of our business, uh, our our Poland team, Costa Rican team, U.S. teams. Um, so we try to, you know, create a good positive culture um, where we can enjoy spending time with each other and we can really 
you know, kind of try to have some fun and not be all serious all the time because, you know, being on the front lines of threats all the time is a little a little exhausting. And, and we do have those days, weeks, weekends sometimes where sometimes it's just one threat after another, after another. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you can burn people out. So yeah. we, we really, you know, pay attention to that and try to make sure that we're, you know, supportive of, of our folks that, need a little bit of a break once in a while from the front lines. Well, we'll need to get you on another podcast, Peter, and, and kind of delve into uh, your leadership style and how you've done that uh, over, over the years. Let's uh, let's jump to the end here, though. As we come to the end of this podcast today, what advice would you give to organizations to immediately improve their cyber posture or cyber program management? Um, I'd probably maybe, you know, I, I think usually in terms of threes, so I'll, maybe I'll give three words, three words of advice. Sounds good. <laughs> um, it, that's, it's just that way it's easy to remember and easy for me to try to articulate. Uh, the first thing here is that it, it, it is a, it is a people It's kind of maybe a, a, an add on to what I was just saying. People are at the core of this. It's not machine versus machine. It's really, you know, us, you know, the attacker versus us. Right. And, we have to really understand what the intent is of the attacker. Do they want to, you know, disrupt our business uh, to exploit things? Do they, you know, what do they want to do? And so really understanding the intent, let's not get too wrapped around the technology and, you know, what, what brand it is and who, who you know, all these kinds of things that la- matter less. Let's make sure that we really cut through and have honest conversations about intent, about um, how do we protect our our assets and and educating our our um, our executive um, you know members of of the company you know the board members and the C-suite on on what can be done and uh, what should be done and where where does the um, you know where does the responsibility really lie and it's and it's shared across the entire organization but certainly the C-suite and the boards are are increasingly being seen as as the accountable parties not not the IT department anymore. So, so anyway, that would be the first area is understanding the, the people structure of where does the IT response or the security responsibility lie? And, you know, what's, what's really the true motivation of, of the people trying to uh, attack and disrupt. Um, The second area is it's, it's really important to understand that, that the complexity really adds a, 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 a big challenge today um, the average half-life of a solution today is probably about 18 months, right? Maybe wow. even a year. I mean, that means that we're swapping out platforms and technologies every two to three years. We're we're getting rid of, you know, like some other some network detection, you know, technology or IDS or whatever, swapping it out, and we're seeing that would happen with firewalls and and uh, all kinds of things. I think that. The industry is certainly moving into a more man, you know, managed and co-managed type technology sets because it's too disruptive to be changing out these products and very expensive. And so that's probably another area that I would really think about in terms of, you know, how 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 often do you do you want to go through this you know change cycle and the disruption that comes with you know vetting new vendors and you know figuring out those kinds of things. So finding a technology set and a vendor and a you know service provider that can help you with that i think is really key very good and then there was a third thing or was there something yeah, else? yeah. The, the 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 third thing is is that 
we're we're in a state of very transformational change right now when it comes to going into the cloud. Right. We're going to see some pretty big movements here. I think over the next five years, there's still a majority of the infrastructure is really premises based, and and the allure and promise of what the cloud can offer, I think, is very compelling. I think we're going to continue to see huge cloud adoption uh, in the next five to ten years, certainly in the next couple of years. But the, the cloud is not inherently secure. It's really not. And most organizations that I'm dealing with right now, when we say, hey, okay, we're going to help you with some kind of hybrid approach, you know, we're going to cover all the login analysis for all your prem stuff, but tell us about your cloud environment. What do you have? And they just kind of give us the blank stare and go, well, we don't really know. Uh, can you help us figure that out? Uh, I think that's a huge gap. And I think that visibility of what's where stuff is in the cloud and what it does and you know how you monitor it and how you keep keep tabs on what what's going on and what kind of vulnerabilities might be associated with that there's a huge knowledge gap and i think that's going to be a huge a big impediment to to not just cloud adoption but i think we've yet to see a lot of the exploits that have yet to come they're going to be clearly targeted more towards cloud the, the, the endpoint right now is kind of the easy attack surface, but as that hardens up, we're going to see a lot more cloud exploits here in the future. And this is a short answer, kind of a yes or no, Peter, but is, is security on demand good in the cloud? Oh, absolutely. We're, we're fully, uh, we're, we actually have a, we're in the cloud. We have a, an architecture in the cloud in AWS, and we also have one uh, in our own private cloud, but, but absolutely have to be able to, to, to speak the language of what we call a hybridized cloud environment, which is really being able to pull the data telemetry in from, from all aspects and cloud obviously being a big part of that. Fantastic. Well, folks, this has been a great show with uh, Peter Bybee of Security On Demand. Peter, thank you so much. It's uh, It's been an honor to have you here. Let's do it again soon, shall we? <laughs> yeah, great. Thanks. Thanks for your time, Greg. We appreciate it. Our pleasure. To get in touch with Peter or learn more about Security On Demand, go ahead and just reach out to us here at getintouch at webcheckSecurity.com, and we'll put you in touch with Peter Bybee or your favorite VAR or MSP as they work very well with their channel partners. Vistas thanks its sponsors, Vivint Smart Home and Nexus IT Consultants. For world-class security and home automation, call Vivit today at 1-800-570-1313. That's right, 1-800-570-1313. For white glove cybersecurity and IT assistance, contact Nexus IT at www.nexusitc.net or call them at, you ready for this, 435-659-2533. Today's music has been provided by Suit Up Soldier and can be downloaded on Spotify, Apple Music, and other popular platforms. Check back soon for another episode of Vistas, published each month. Until next time, be positive and see only the good in others. <laughs>